Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Building Faith Podcast. I'm Richard Goff, and in a few moments I'll be joined by Dr. Shane Kohler, teaching pastor of Faith Community Church in Woodstock, Georgia. After a bit of a recording hiatus, we're finally getting back to a series that we began several months ago on the extremely important subject of racial tension. And this episode here will be the sixth and final episode in that series. Over the last five months, just to kind of get us caught up, we've really sought to identify what we think are some really important and key questions that are crucial for us to ask and to answer if we're really going to think about this issue of racial tension, really understand it, and really respond to it in a biblical way. And to just recap where we've been in this series so far, we began with the first episode in the series asking the question, where is the hope? In the midst of all the community turmoil and all the policy debates and the social engineering proposals that have been circulating and in the public uh, discourse, the question is, is anyone putting forward any real hope of redemption? We moved on to our second episode in the series where we explored this question of what do you mean? In other words, asking the question, what are some of these key terms that are frequently used by critical race theorists and social justice leaders? What are the definitions of these terms that they're using, and how have those definitions maybe changed from what we may have historically understood these words or these terms to mean? In the third episode in the series, we tried to tackle the question, where is all this going? Where, where is this, this racial tension that's arisen in our country and some of the ideas that are sort of driving some of the, the proposed solutions around it? Where, where is it going? Where, what, what, what will happen if the ultimate goals and objectives of those who embrace the doctrines of critical race theory and social justice, where would it lead us as a society and what will be some of the outcomes of that? We followed all that in our fourth episode in the series, focusing on the question, who's to blame? And in that episode, we really looked at what the scriptures say about individual versus collective guilt. And then finally, in the episode that we recorded prior to this current one, we discussed the question, who are you? And in that episode, we really zeroed in on this important issue of identity, really looking at identity from a biblical perspective. As I said today, in our final and sixth episode in this series on racial tension of the Building Faith podcast, Pastor Shane's going to join me in a moment, as I said, and he's going to help us address the challenging yet really crucial question concerning racial tension that every individual believer and really every church must face, and that's the question, what should we do? So please stay tuned. All right, Shane. So we're back together after a bit of a pause in the recording of the Building Faith podcast, and we're actually wrapping up today with the final episode in a series on racial tension that we began a number of months ago. And uh, we tried to kind of tackle this issue as best we can uh, through asking and answering a series of what we think are important key questions uh, around this particular issue. It's uh, kind of a struggle for the church and for our culture at large. Today, we're going to take up what will be the final question and the final episode in this series on racial tension. So why don't you just uh, introduce that to us and get us started? Well, we're uh, you know probably wading into the thorniest of the 
of the questions that we've been trying to tackle, the thorniest of the issues, which is, you know, where, uh, what do we do? How do we respond to all this? I mean, we've spent some time, you know, talking about meaning, definition of words, uh, you know, those, uh, those kinds of uh, issues, which are so much at the heart of this, is, is just understanding how people have defined racism and, you know, what they mean by, by uh, s- systemic racism and stuff like that. And, and those are helpful foundations, you know, if you have not listened to those podcasts, maybe what we're going to talk about today is going to seem misplaced and uh, out of sorts. So we don't have time to retrace all of that. Yeah. But we, you know, we just simply uh, sort of a- affirm that the Bible does speak about things like racial tension, you know, l- racial prejudice. There are such things as Jews disliking Gentiles, mm-hmm. and within Gentiles, you know, uh, there are such things as Assyrians disliking Israelites and all that. So, you know, no one denies that either in the scripture or in just in modern everyday life we we recognize it but we reject the uh the systems that are out there that set an oppressed people over against a majority culture people and just say that those are in themselves you know your your uh the causation of your guilt yeah the fact that you're a part of a an oppressor and oppressed and you 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 basically uh, create these two um, sort of um, um, systems of people that then you pit against one another and assign guilt and and uh, blame to the majority. And uh, we talked about how that you know doesn't end just within uh, discussions of race; uh, it extends to discussions of gender and discussions of sexual orientation and. On and on and on. Once you accept the paradigm, there's you know seemingly no way to stop it. Yeah. But anyway, we're, uh, my my point is not to um, you know kind of retrace all that stuff, but really kind of you know having set all that aside, but at the same time wanting to be honest with the fact that there are problems. What do we do as a church? I mean, one of the frustrations I think. Of uh, of people who are involved with the social justice movement, and particularly within evangelicalism, is it seems like that there are among evangelicals, there are those who almost want to shut down the discussion altogether, and and this is one of the uh, one of the I think things that we have to recognize is that these are movements social justice movement or whatever, they're movements because they put their finger on something. There's, there are symptoms, yeah. uh, and we would be foolish to deny the symptoms even if we want to deny the, 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 the cure. In other words, the, many of these movements have touched on a nerve of something that bothers people, that is evident to people, that you know, even we would say kind of afflicts their conscience. They sense uh, something wrong in the world, some injustice, and it resonates with a lot of people. But then, of course, the problem is they go on and prescribe a cure, which is not a cure. It actually makes things worse. It actually, you know, accelerates uh, the issue. And you and I were talking sort of um, before we started up how uh, so many of these discussions 
um, you know, actually, actually uh, create more problems yeah. and actually shut down honest communication more than they do advance the issue. Yeah, I mean, even with all the even with all the confusion or the 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 sort of the lack of awareness of the specifics of what people are are trying to articulate about the, these racial issues or critical race theory or social justice. I mean, all these different terms. A new there's a whole new lexicon that you have to kind of learn. I, I think that the simple one of the more simple um, cautionary flags that goes up in my mind when I think about this is just any anything that is focusing on what divides people is needs to be uh, looked at carefully with a level of biblical scrutiny. Because when you go to the scriptures, I mean, especially in the gospels, it's about bringing dividing walls down. Certainly within the church. Within the church. Yes, definitely. That's right. That's right. Uh, and I think that... Which, which is really where my my concern is and your concern is in terms of our responsibilities and everything. It's it's I'm not here to yeah, kind of transform I, the culture in terms of what they think sociologically. I think in terms of, you know, you know when it gets to, uh, well, that's all well and good, but the problem is still there. What do we do? I think the first thing we do is recognize there are some problems. I mean, there are some there are some uh, some issues, and and I would even be comfortable saying that there are some systemic issues, simply because I know that there is systemic sin. Yeah. Or sometimes what we even don't even use the word systemic, we might call them ideological. There are ideologies. The Scripture speaks about it, even in the sense of our spiritual warfare. You know, the battle, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Um, but they're you know, spiritual. We're taking on thoughts and we're taking on arguments and all those things which exalt themselves against God and against Christ. Well, there are there are systems, there are ideologies which Ephesians two says are under the control of the prince of the power of the air, who uh, according to him the the people walk according to the course of this world. So I don't have any problem recognizing that there is a worldly course, there are worldly ideologies, and they dominate the minds of some people. And they're not uniform. I mean, there would be some people who stand behind one ideology, some people who stand behind another ideology. So I'm not even—doesn't even bother me to say that there are racist people out there, and there's a lot of them. I mean, I'm not uh, even sort of objecting to that. I'm not even—you know, it doesn't even bother me to enter into discussions about, you know, whether or not that has had some, you know, uh, uh, broad um, uh, detrimental impact within certain communities and, you know, to hear all that stuff. None of that stuff in terms of the, in terms of the uh, symptoms bothers me. What bothers me is when the cure is anything other than what God himself prescribes. And I just make that point because I think, you know, one of the um, important things for us to probably begin with is we have to kind of get over the fear of thinking that if we admit there are problems, that we therefore must accept the solutions that are proposed. And those are two different things. It's one thing to to concede that there are problems. It's a whole nother thing to concede that the solutions proposed by critical race theory or whatever are the solutions that we need. 
And I think this is really, really important for us as Christians is just to, uh, if you want to say it this way, just to have a compassionate, sympathetic ear to brothers who, who may be struggling with something and listen, but, but not necessarily you know, feel like we have to swallow the whole pill of whatever the prescription is for that. Um, because I think the, it's okay. The gospel affirms that there are broad, you know, sinful sort of um, ideologies that are out there, but when you look into the Scripture, the solution is never social action. It isn't. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, where there's this uh, there's this slogan, obviously that's um, that's you know pretty um, you know, common these days. Silence is violence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about this with the Apostle Paul because he and the, and the Apostle Peter because they both of them directly speak into the life of uh, enslaved people, and they directly speak into this this sort of oppressed class of people, and they never ever address the you know injustice of that slavery system or any of those things they talk about the personal interaction between you know slaves and masters in fact they're they're telling their slaves you know that they have uh, you know they need to respond in certain ways to maintain their Christian witness even before they're unjust masters but if you were to adopt the solution, of the modern-day critical race theory, then you would basically have to conclude that, that Peter's silence or Paul's silence on the oppressive system is violence, yeah. that they actually become a part of the oppressive system. But see, the, the, that's the wrong paradigm. It's the wrong way to look at it, because the reality is they're not even trying to speak to that issue. Yeah. They're not even trying to address that from a systemic standpoint. Well, that, that's that's something I was thinking of as you were talking a, a moment ago. It, would you say that um, that it, you you made the comment that it, you don't have a problem? Oh, this is going to sound redundant. You don't have any problem acknowledging that there are problems, even systemic problems. Um, but wouldn't would you not also agree and and say that it's important to make sure that we're properly identifying the real fundamental problems sure, and, and, the, it, and the essence of the problems? That's a very good point. Uh, when the problems align with the problems that Scripture talks about. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's, yes. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, a very good point. Yeah, when the problems uh, are, you know, hatred in, you know, in broad, you know, in, in broad manifestation or, or, you know, when, you know, people are being system, you know, sort of uh, across the board, targeted for something, you know, because of the 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 amount of melanin in their skin or something like that. We, you know, and we've talked about this, you and I. I mean, that stuff's repugnant to you. It's repugnant to me. We hate it if we ever encounter it, and we don't have any problem condemning that, you know, when we see it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just think we've, uh, you know, we can't be afraid of 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 sort of taking full-eyed look at those kinds of things. And some of them, honestly, are, are uh, you know, not the easiest things to even think about. And we need good Christian, you know, critical um, thought uh, address that. My main point is this, is that we can't be afraid to look at them because we reject the proposed solutions, yeah. which I think happens sometimes. Yeah, the other thing I think that's challenging 
is the way that terms get redefined and it's almost like you you feel like you're in a, uh, a there's there's language traps everywhere and um, and when you're talking about having communication and listening and 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 having conversations about this it it almost feels like you're you're on the edge of a trap somewhere just by virtue of you mm-hmm. saying something that gets completely misunderstood or misconstrued. You just brought up the silence is violence kind of idea. It's it's along those same lines, but to the, the idea of systemic, just that one word alone, systemic, could could trigger in someone's mind a, a range of different ideas that could draw the conversation very quickly away from biblical categories. Yeah, and I just think that I just think that you know people. Uh, a lot of people reflexively recoil from that because their mind immediately goes to the proposed solutions. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just, uh, I just don't necessarily link those two things together. Uh, you know, I, well, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, when um, Jesus was being anointed and the disciples were worried about the waste of the uh, uh, of the ointment by the lady that was, you know, cleaning his feet and and Jesus makes this statement, the poor you will have with you always. Yeah, that's a systemic problem. That's a systemic problem. It sure is. You know, poverty is is a is a result of the uh, of the fallen world that we live in. It's not anything that any of us rejoice in. It is a systemic problem. But I don't necessarily then have to accept whatever anyone's proposed solution is of it because it's honestly even Jesus himself didn't express any kind of hope or optimism that within this fallen world, it's ever going to be cured. Yeah, it's just going to be there. And and I, I I would say the same thing. There are systemic problems that are just going to be problems. I I have I accept this. It's just going to be problems as long as systemic sin is a part of the world. As long as the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, are operative, then there are going to be systemic problems. There is there is always there always has been. And until Christ comes and everything is made new, there has always been oppressive people and oppressive uh, organizations, ideologies. oppressive ideolo- yeah. ideologies, oppressive um, regimes, yeah. and then there have been those who have been oppressed. Yeah. So that that it, it's a dynamic that is consequent of fall and corruption, and to have a solution that claims it's going to eradicate that apart from the the, the new kingdom. I mean, I, it's it's yeah, and I, you know, I think you know we have to temper any kind of any kind of optimism uh, you know we might have for any worldly or any let me say sort of material solution that might be put out there. I mean, uh, to some extent, you know, we might uh, you know look at a, a particular leader who has good ideas to address some of those things and, and and express some optimism. But I think as Christians, our biblical worldview hopes lets us understand there's always going to be severe limitations to that because the problems are spiritual. What's what's the point of having an eternal hope? Yeah. If if your optimism is centered on a material, you know, solution to earthly problems of corruption. It's just now this is I know all this. And that stuff. doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, responsibilities for how we conduct ourselves 
in this it's, world. So this is exactly yeah. where I was about to go with all this discussion, everything you and I just talked about for the last five or ten minutes. When people in the social justice movement hear that kind of language... Oh, I'm sure it's not good. They get so frustrated yeah. because they think that is uh, tantamount to an empty gospel. There's really this sense that the gospel that has been preached by white evangelicalism is a gospel that doesn't work. And and really, it is a reaction to, uh, or it's a reaction to what you and I traditionally have called easy believism. Mm-hmm. But if you hear the language of of many of these social justice uh, 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 movement people today, they would talk about this Reformed gospel or evangelical gospel, which just talks about justification over and over again, justification, justification. But then at the end of the day, it does nothing that really has any kind of practical effect for people who are oppressed or or, or anything like that. So you you hear this language of a um, you know kind of an empty or a useless gospel, and the idea is that you know white evangelicalism has represented a gospel that doesn't produce results but see you and i we kind of have we agree with that i mean we agree that if there's a gospel that doesn't change you right doesn't produce fruit and all those other things that that's a problem. In fact, we believe in a gospel that transforms you, sanctifies you, sets you apart, and molds you into the image of Christ. Yeah, we believe, in other words, a gospel that is accompanied with repentance. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know that I've read anyone kind of quite, quite put their finger on this, but uh, I really believe that so much of what is going on in the social justice movement is actually a reaction against easy believism. Because they see a lot of people who have taken the banner of Christ, but are still living within some of those ideologies that are just as worldly, or, or you know, they 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 might belong to a church, but they still exhibit the hate, or they still exhibit you know whatever it might be, or they hear politicians or athletes or something like that who claim the name of Christ, but they're still you know acting in all kinds of sinful ways. Well, you know, I hate that too. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't need all of the social action movements to address all that, because all I really need is getting back to a sound-minded gospel which calls for faith and repentance, which is then preached within the context of a church which practices church discipline and therefore holds the people accountable to living out that you know Christian life, so that if their if their profession is not matched by a life of repentance, then they're challenged on those things, and if there is no uh, sort of resultant fruit, eventually they are expelled from the church because that's what the Scripture calls us to do. So here's my sort of I guess you'd say big idea: is if the church just did that, you know, if they just preached the gospel with this call for Christ-like conformity, and then within the church, maintain purity of the church by, by expelling those people who uh, you know, were not living the gospel, then 
then I don't think there would be such frustration with, you know, so-called white evangelicalism. You know, I'm sure someone would disagree with me, but I really believe there would be such a powerful, a powerful um, representation of new life broadly within the church that the, um, you know, white evangelicalism may not be the focus so much by some of these people. And this is, you know, probably very prominently displayed right now with these criticisms uh, you'll hear sometimes against what folks call white nationalism. This idea, or I'm sorry, a Christian nationalism. Right. Uh, this idea that, you know, uh, you know, people are taking the name of Christ, but really they're, they're nationalistic, they're just kind of uh, filled with political, you know, ideologies and all that stuff. Well, I mean, I don't deny that happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say as much as anyone, that's a problem. I mean, I've been in churches where, you know, you're listening to a sermon and you don't know whether or not it's a, a Fourth of July celebration right. or, you know, celebration of the gospel. I call it political theology. I mean, I don't know if that's a good term yeah. for it, but that's what comes to mind, where your theology is through the lens of politics. But see, here's the thing. You and I, because we come from a, a tradition of Reformed theology, we have... We've rejected that. You and I have rejected that long ago. Yeah. And and we recognize there are a lot of churches that tolerate that kind of thing way, way too much. So I don't necessarily need to run down the road of the solutions that are proposed by the social justice movement because the scripture has already given us sufficient solutions that that we call Christians back to living the life of Christians. And that those Christians exhibit the character of Christ, and if they don't, you know, that the church deal with it accordingly. Uh, and a part of that, you know, uh, Christ-likeness is that someone is marked by compassion, by respectfulness, by, you know, generosity and love and grace toward, toward their brothers, no matter what their skin color right. or background or, or any of those things. So I think this is really what you see playing out in the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, he's he speaks to people within oppressed situations, and he just basically demands that they act like brothers to one another, yeah. you know, within those situations. He's not necessarily trying to dismantle the whole systemic thing, but the fact that he's not trying to dismantle the whole systemic thing does not mean that he's contributing to it. He just has a biblical framework for understanding this, and he's just wanting them as brothers and sisters to interact with one another within the context of the church according to the gospel. Yeah, That's what we need, uh, first and foremost, is just—and uh, I know that's going to, you know, to some extent frustrate some people who want to put their hands to some sort of um, um, celebrated cause— but you have to understand that uh, the church is the most powerful movement on the face of the earth. Yeah, and and uh, that's the context in which you you actually see the um, the working out of people's salvation. I mean, you actually see people having their minds renewed and their lives transformed through the gospel and through the word of God, and it has to lead to the things that are characteristics of Christ himself. I mean, we have the mind of Christ. We are to take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. I mean, if we're actually doing that, if that's actually true in the life of a believer, it 
it's a transformative thing that's going to affect social interaction, community involvement, neighborliness, yeah. our approach to unbelievers, our our uh, ministry among believers, our life in the local church, all these things. It's a comprehensive thing. And you know, within the church, I think you're going to have, you know, happening what you, you know, read about in in the scripture about there, you know, being no more uh, Jew or Greek or barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. You know, you're going to have that dynamic happening within the church, which is the exact opposite of what, you know, the social justice movement wants, which is the sort of uh, segregation into black Christianity, white Christianity, Hispanic Christianity, or or whatever it might be. You have this sort of standpoint uh, theology where you're sort of locked into only seeing the world through your own lens, and the Scripture rejects that. We now see the world through the lens of Christ. Now, that's sort of the that's sort of the broad paradigm, and and I would say if you want to direct your energy in the face of this movement, you've got to put your trust in the institution the Lord has established, which is the church, and you've got to first and foremost direct your attention toward a regenerate church membership. Mm-hmm. That, that's got to be that's got to be sort of the um, the the big picture of you know where you're putting your eggs what the basket that you're putting your eggs in now obviously when you get into that kind of a realm that christian brotherhood works itself out in very practical ways i mean one of them i think is just a demand for dignity which you see again from the apostle paul when he is talking to masters and slaves he is standing up and demanding dignity for these slaves in the face of their masters, mm-hmm. rebuking them, you know, if they, uh, you know, warning them of judgment if they don't do that. And I think we've got to, just like we would with any family member, you know, if we see them being treated in undignified ways, you know, we we ought to stand up with some sort of, um, you know, vehemence that 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 should not happen. It should. Um, you know, it should, I almost want to say, enrage us if we see a brother or sister being treated with a lack of dignity, or if we even hear within conversations, you know, racial slurs or, uh, you know, any kind of that um, language that's that's disrespectful. I mean, it ought to be something that we not tolerate just because of the work of Christ in our life. I think even to another level, you know, you look very specifically at you know, but like Paul and and uh, Onesimus. So here's a guy that was a runaway slave. You know, he ministers along. Paul ministers the gospel to this guy, and then he ministers along with Paul as a fellow laborer. And then he eventually sends Onesimus back to Philemon. But as he does that, Paul bears the personal burdens of Onesimus. He doesn't just kind of send Onesimus back and say, well, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, it's just, there's a master, there's a slave, and you're a slave. He doesn't do that at all. In fact, when he sends Onesimus back, he sends him with a letter, uh, first of all, urging Philemon to receive him as a brother in Christ. 
But then he even says this. He says, if he owes you anything, if there's a if there's a financial burden that comes along with it, count it to my account. Yeah. So I think what you know, Paul's not out there saying, you know what, there's a lot of oppressed people, and I'm going to get involved with a movement to sort of flatten out all of the economic disparity. He doesn't do that. Right. But when there's a brother personally involved, he steps up there with his own sort of reputation, you know, his own sort of leverage and his own pocketbook. And he says, you know what, I, I'm going to I'm going to personally bear some of the burdens of what this brother has, you know, has uh, in front of him, even if some of it's by his own doing, you know, in that situation. So I think that's that's what you see taking place in the New Testament. It's not a denial that there are problems or not denial that there are disparities or anything like that, but it becomes very personalized around our new relationships in Christ within the context of the local church. That, that's such a good point. That's, that's such a good insight. I mean, that just totally reinforces the the way that this is to to work itself out in the context of a local body of believers who are actually believers and who are actually functioning as the church is called to function in the New Testament. It, it if it you know if you have those things if you have any of those things missing or those elements missing, then there's all kinds of things that could creep in and create division or or partiality sins of partiality and a, a range of other things. But if the church is functioning in this way, and and there is actual personal accountability, there is life on life fellowship and discipleship, burden bearing. And there's the practice of church discipline to keep the church pure and and growing in sanctification. Then these things are going to work themselves out in that context with with great f- fruit and mm-hmm. to the glory of God. I just keep thinking about the temptation to um, to sort of be distracted. I mean, the, the 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 focus that you have on the Apostle Paul that you're mentioning here that. I mean, if you go back and you just study the, the 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 culture that he was ministering in, the various cities that he was visiting in Asia Minor and planting churches, I mean, you just you just go and study those societies and what was going on there culturally and otherwise. I mean, it was a mess, yeah. uh, just an absolute mess culturally, uh, just corruption, paganism, I- idolatry. Uh, slavery. I mean, everything you could possibly imagine that would m- make you think, you know, it, we need to start at least five different social movements if that's the priority of gospel witness, because they were, they were everywhere. Um, but the fact that he was focused on what would really transform an individual and then collectively in the context of the church bring about the salt and light effect uh, of a church in a community and advance the kingdom of God and advance the gospel. That's what he majored on. Yeah. And it's all within the context of that regenerate community. Yeah. Now, someone's going to come along and say, but wait, 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 wait. What about all those Old Testament verses? You know, all those things that talk about, you know, let justice roll down like, like uh, you know, uh, uh, fountains or, or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, what about all those passages that call for us to be all about justice, you have to understand that those are all written 
in the context of a call to repentance for Israel. In other words, it's calling for spiritual renewal that precedes that kind of work. Because I don't think even in the Old Testament there was there was an expectation that any of that stuff would happen apart from spiritual renewal. Yeah, you know, just just sort of uh, you go out into unregenerate society and create systems of justice. It's just not going to happen. You have probably one of the clearest is Isaiah chapter uh, you know one verse sixteen. It says, "Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds." Before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. So, yeah, there's clearly a call for justice and dealing with oppression and all those other things, but there's never an expectation that any of it would come without also sort of the attendant removal of sin, the wiping away of the crimson stain of sin. Yeah. So you can't separate those passages, you know, Micah or uh, Isaiah or any of those passages that talk about, uh, you know, broad-based calls for justice. You can't separate any of them from the presupposition that a spiritual work precedes that within the life of Israel, which just takes you right back to the regenerate church. Those things are, ha- are things that ought to be happening within regenerate communities. But we don't see the expectation within the New Testament of that taking place in unregenerate Rome or unregenerate anywhere, because Paul would have understood that those things are not possible apart from the regenerating work of Christ. Yeah. And we're seeing we're seeing how totally impossible and unsustainable any kind of movement like this is apart from the genuine work of Christ on the heart of individuals who then are linked together in a community of faith. We're we're seeing how this really becomes just a flipped you know version of you know, a quest for power and control, and it's just redefine. It's just it's just reorienting. You know, one perceived power structure for another, and and turning the oppression in the opposite direction. Mm. You just have, in other words, if it's based upon if I just align myself properly, then I'm now a part of the the majority if you will or or the 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 new majority or the the new power base and you're seeing this through cancel culture and through you know the silence is violence kind of idea um you it, it is oriented toward um toward i i guess a different form of oppression a different a different it, it, manifestation of oppression ultimately yeah, it's replacing just a you know one worldly ideology with another, and yeah. it really isn't a solution at all. And I want to just kind of, as we wrap up, I just want to kind of punctuate this once again with something um, that I, I I already said is is you've got to understand what we're what we're essentially saying is that you know there there is no hope apart from the gospel, right? That the gospel has got to continue to be front and center, and within the social justice movement, that message has been cast 
as inadequate. Yeah. But you have to understand, you have to read, you have to listen to people within the social justice movement. You have to understand that when they say that, what they are rejecting is not the gospel only. What they're rejecting is a deficient gospel that they have seen preached. Yeah. And it has been ineffective. And we would join with them in saying, yeah, that gospel that you're talking about, that deficient gospel, that's not the answer. Right. But what we're talking about is the whole gospel, the gospel that regenerates, the gospel that brings repentance, the gospel that brings renewal, the gospel that is results in the kind of life that James talks about, where true and undefiled religion is caring for the father and the fatherless and the widow. That gospel, when it's really understood, is really the uh, the solution, you know, to this, and it manifests itself as we said in a regenerate church that is, you know, people working together, uh, holding one another accountable, stirring one another love and good deeds, ultimately um, filled with tons of burden sharing, and you know, mutual love, and demonstrating to the world, you know, what what it can't accomplish in its own resources, but God, God can accomplish. Yeah. Just the power and wonder of the local church. It's just an amazing uh, reminder. Well, obviously, this um, the issues that we've been talking about have been tremendously impacted. I'll just leave it at that. It's been tremendously impacted by um, social media. Mm. And I think that's where we're headed next, if, I, if I'm yeah. correct. So um, as we wrap up this particular series on racial tension, it's going to lead us right into something that's not totally unrelated. And that's, that's this whole area of, of social media and how we are engaging with one another. Through, and not engaging. And not engaging <laughs> uh, through that uh, relatively new medium. So uh, we'll look forward to that. It's going to be a really good segue into a, an important topic. So it's good to be with you. Yeah, great. Great.